Hey, good morning. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you guys here. It is a family Sunday. Kiddos, thank you for being in the room. We love you kids, and we are so glad that you are in here with us. And uh, I would encourage you all to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 18, and uh, we're going to round the corner into chapter 16 this morning. And as you turn in your Bibles, let me start off by saying fall is my favorite time of year. And growing up in Nebraska, fall always meant two things, Husker football and hunting. Love Husker football and hunting. Amen. Hallelujah. As our Lord did. Actually, the Huskers weren't around, but he loved hunting probably. Um, And so now that I'm a dad, one of my favorite things is to pass on the traditions that I grew up loving and appreciating and celebrating. And so uh, just a couple of years ago, there was a generous couple from the church that said, hey, we have some tickets to the Husker game. Do you want to go to the Husker game? I thought, it's great. I'll take Grady, my son. He's never been to a Husker game. I get to take him to his first Husker game. And they said, we'll drop the tickets off at the church. And wonderful. So they drop them off, and I go out to get the tickets. And they're not just tickets. They're like these laminated plastic land, like uh, placards. And it's like on a lanyard. It's like a necklace. And there's parking passes that are like clipped onto this thing. And I'm thinking, those don't look like the tickets I remember, but I like these tickets. This is a, this is a good ticket. And so I took Grady to the Husker game, went to the Husker game. We found our parking stall that was feet from the stadium. And I thought, this has never happened before. And so we park in to our VIP parking spot. And then we go in the front door to Memorial Stadium. And an usher sees like our big placards. And he gives me the look like, oh. And I'm like, I I don't know. It's just a thing. And he's like, come with me. So he ushers us back to like this private secret secret elevator where we're escorted up to the luxury VIP suite headquarters. And so we walk down the gold-plated hallway and into our luxury VIP Husker suite. And they open the door. And I don't know what heaven's going to be like exactly. I've got some verses, but probably... A lot like this. So there's Husker memorabilia, and you walk in, you feel like you're just in a very nice house. Leather, furniture, flat screen TVs everywhere, streaming the football game. And I'm thinking, we're at the football game. Why is the football game on the TV? But I guess in case you just want to watch the football game on the TV while at the football, you could do that. I mean, it's just TVs, and there's a well-stocked refrigerator, and endless boxes of Valentino's pizza, like the kind our Lord served at the Last Supper. Valentino's <laughs> endless Valentinos. And so I'm thinking, this is amazing. We sat down, we had Valentinos and pop. We're doing our thing. And then we went outside into the stadium proper. And it was like where the emperors sat, you know, it's like the king and queen. Uh, We go out and there's leather chairs out in the stadium in our own private viewing box. And then the private staff comes out and it's like, do you guys need any refreshments? Does he need to use the restroom? How can I serve you guys? I'm thinking, is this a Husker game? What just happened? We go to the bathroom to use the restroom and it's not your typical Husker restroom. It's a, you know, it's it's like a memorabilia everywhere and mosaic tile with a big N in the floor. And then there's the toilet and there's like a screen on this side and on this side. So no matter which way you need to address the toilet, you can watch the game still. Thinking This is unreal. What is this place? And at the end of that Husker experience, Grady was like, I love going to Husker games, dad. (laughs) Yeah, sure you do. Okay. Then last year, about this time, another very nice couple from the church, gentleman said, hey, uh, uh, I'd like to take you and Grady hunting. You want to go pheasant hunting? I thought, yeah, I've never, never taken Grady pheasant hunting before. And so let's go. And he belongs to a hunt club where they raise the pheasants like chickens and then they put them in the field and then you shoot them. It's, 
it's the thing. It's, it is what it is. It's fun is what it is. And so he called and said, I'm bringing my pastor and his son out. Why don't, you know, very generous. I'll, I'll pay for double the birds. Just stock that field really well. Okay, so they stock the field. Well, then our hunting guide who's running the dogs is also a member of the church. Here's that this guy's taking me. So he calls out. His son's on staff with our college ministry. It's like, hey, my pastor's coming out and I'm guiding. Throw out like, you know, double the number of birds that you were going to. Like, put it on my tab. I'll take care of it. Just really want to make sure these guys get some good shooting. So he doesn't know the other guy's calling, and it's a thing. So we go to the field. Grady and I take a step in, and up flies the first bird, and I miss it. And the second one, I hit it, and the dogs bring it back and take a few more steps in. And if you don't know much about upland game, they are not flock animals, but in this field, they were. They were... Take another step and a flock of pheasants, like a migratory flock of pheasants flies up and it's like the plague, like they blacked out the sun, like pheasants everywhere. No exaggeration. He's in the room. You can bear, we shot 47 birds in about an hour, 47 pheasants on that morning. Now, some of you donate money to PETA and other poor decisions and you're like, Gavin, that's really, it's really offensive. Some people aren't uh, laughing. It's awkward to look back at you. Um, so if that's you, you can just send complaints to my email. It's C-H-R-I-S at citylightomaha.org. Just be happy to receive your complaints. Now, on both of these situations for my son, out of love for him, I had to sit him down and help establish some good expectations about what all future events are going to look like for him, Right. So after the Husker game, I had to say, Grady, yes, they was, we love the Huskers. We love to go to Husker games. But what that's going to look like is we're going to sit on an undersized wooden bench next to oversized human beings in the cold. We're going to pay 12 bucks for Valentino's pizza. And when we have to use the restroom, we're going to have to wait in line. And then we're going to be shoulder to shoulder peeing into a 360-degree horse trough with other men all aiming at the same drain. That's... Uh, all the women are like, really, is it? Yeah, and the guys are like, yeah, no, that's, we're like cattle at this thing, man. They just, there's, no, there's no pride, it's just what it is. You just you look down, look down, and then wash your hands. So out of love for him, I had to set expectations of all subsequent Husker games. And after the hunting, so too, I had to say, great, that was awesome. I'm so glad you loved it. However, you know, all future hunting will be walking in the cold and snow and tall grass probably not seeing a live animal and then shooting a lot of holes in a pop can at the end of that morning, man, we are going to murder that pop can. And so I just want to set expectations out of love for him as his father to say, Hey, that was wonderful. But for the next you know, rest of your life, this is what this is going to look like. And I say that to say that in our text today, Jesus is going to sit down his 11 remaining disciples and out of love for them, He's going to help set up realistic expectations about what their next few years are going to look like. Remember, just verses before, he's given this amazing heavenly vision. He says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many rooms. If it was not so, I would not have told you. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to take you to where I am. So they're thinking, this is amazing. But there's going to be some years between this moment and that final home And Jesus very lovingly is going to tell them what it's going to look like between now and then. And he's going to let them know that this world is not going to be a euphoric paradise of popularity, prosperity, and red carpet receptions. It's going to be hard. He says, the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. And he's going to tell them 
that he's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to help them. They're going to be a witness until he brings them and perseveres them into the end. And City Light, the same is true for us today. Some of you in this room are maybe a new Christian, and your first experience in the family of God was amazing. You remember how awesome grace sounded when you first heard about it. Really, I can be forgiven and known and loved by God, free of charge, free gift to me. And your first experience in the church was amazing. And you found a family, but maybe you hit a roadblock and it's become difficult. And you think, oh, this isn't quite what I thought. Or maybe you're a seasoned Christian and you've been as faithful as best as you know how. And you are facing unprecedented difficulty and sorrow and strife. And you're thinking, what went wrong? Why is this so Hard, And what we're going to see, according to our text today, is that nothing is wrong. You are just experiencing the ebbs and flow of the normal Christian experiences. And Jesus is going to tell us that we're going to experience some challenges, but that he is with us, he loves us, he's going to use us as a witness, and he's going to bring us through. He's going to sit us down, his disciples and his contemporary disciples, and set our expectations. He's going to give us three primary expectations in this text this morning. Number one... We can expect to be hated. Number two, expect to be empowered. And number three, we can expect to endure. So let's get after the first one. The first expectation Jesus tell his, tells his disciples is you can expect to be hated. Write that down. <laughs> expect to be hated. Positive, encouraging, more music, gay love. So my feel-good devotion is they're going to hate you, Okay. Uh, Look what Jesus says, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Okay, so first Jesus is telling them, the world's going to hate you because you're no longer of the world. You belong to another world. So the idea that Jesus is communicating here uh, is this. The word is cosmos, the idea of being a, a broken world system, the structures of the world. Okay, so the idea is God, Genesis 1, creates the world and he calls it good. And then sin enters the world through our first parents and the world is no longer primarily good. It is broken and it is fractured. And so the world and all of its systems that were once good and glorified God the Father now glorify sin and sinful men. But it says that God, Genesis, or John 3, 16, God so loved what? The world, same word, that he sent his son into the world to redeem out of the world all who would love and trust in him and be saved by him. And the idea is one by one as we trust the Lord Jesus, receive his grace, receive his new life, we are no longer citizens of this kingdom, of this world. We are citizens of heaven who still live here until he brings us home. And he's saying, you're going to be different than the world. You're going to be different than the culture. And the culture is going to see you as different. They're going to hate you. They're going to hate me and they kill me and they're going to hate you. Feels really good, Jesus. Verse 20, remember the, world, uh, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who has sent me. And so he's just simply saying, listen, they're going to crucify me, and I'm the master, and you're my servant. I'm the greater, you're the lesser. And so if they treated me this way, they also will treat you the same way. You're probably not going to get hugs, high fives, and a key to the city for being my followers. True of us today. Verse 22. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus is saying that by coming into the world, he has caused the world into the ultimate sin, which is the rejection of Jesus and his father. So by saying they didn't have sin, it wasn't that they weren't sinners. The Bible affirms from cover to cover that everyone is a sinner, but he's simply saying that Jesus brings all of us to a point of decision, right? We either love him, receive his grace, receive his righteousness and be called out of the world, or we reject him, stay in the world and stay like the world and and belong to the world. And so Jesus is just saying, the the thrust of these first eight verses is this. Jesus is giving his disciples a loving heads up. The world is going to hate you. It's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be the Husker suite. And we know from the rest of the New Testament and from church history that this was the case. They did not experience Joel Osteen's best life now. It was hard. Yes, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, they had faithful and fruitful ministries, but they all, except for one, died martyrs. History holds that Andrew was crucified, Thomas was run through with spears, Matthew was stabbed to death, James was stoned and then clubbed to death, Matthias was burned to death, Peter was crucified upside down, best life now, and John was boiled alive but escaped and lived to preach another day. And so for all these men, these years on the in-between were not a serene paradise on earth. And this is Jesus lovingly giving them a heads up in advance. Men, I love you. I'm preparing a place. I'm coming back to get you. But in the meantime, the world's going to hate you. Now, remember, Jesus is talking primarily to the 11 remaining disciples. But so much of what he's telling them does apply to us. There's so much that we can take out of this. We also are no longer of this world. And so uh, let me give you four points of application just for point one that we can expect some hate. So application number one. Write this down. Haters gonna hate. Expect some pushback. Okay? Now listen, we don't live in first century Rome, and so most likely, if you're a permanent resident of the United States, it's unlikely that you will die for your faith in Jesus Christ. However, can we agree, even in our context, even in most of our lifetimes, the cultural currents have shifted. And in mainstream culture, Christians are no longer the cool kids. If you love Jesus, believe Jesus, trust with Jesus, walk with Jesus, and believe that the Bible is the word of God, the culture will, at best, think that you are archaic, superstitious, and simple-minded, or at worst, you are intolerant, narrow-minded, and bigoted. And that will cost you some social equity, okay? Loving and following Jesus, just expect it. You're not It's not going to help you get promotions anymore. That day is come and gone. It's not going to help you be popular in your neighborhood and in social networks. Those days have come and gone. It will be different. It will be difficult. You are seen as an outsider. Furthermore, kiddos in the room, if you guys love Jesus and you want to walk with Jesus, you're going to experience as you go through school, as you go through life, there will be things that other kids are doing that you're not going to do because you love Jesus. There are going to be things that they're not doing that you are doing because you love Jesus. And there's, it's going to feel awkward at times. You'll think, why am I different? Why is this hard? I want you to know when this passes, Jesus loves you enough to tell you it's going to be that way. 
You belong. You are a child of the king, and he loves you, and he has a different vision for your life, and that's going to feel different and be difficult as you go. So Jesus gives us a heads up. You're not alone. You're doing all the right stuff. Stay at it. God loves you, and he's with you, and he's going to help you. So number one, haters going to hate. Expect some pushback. Uh, second application, I would say this. Write this down. Reality check. Make sure you're not just a jerk. Can I say that? Can I just say that not all like hate is religious persecution? And if you're wondering, am I being like religiously persecuted or am I just a jerk? Can I humbly submit? Ask your spouse. You know, just like, honey, is all this pushback because of my love for Jesus? And they might let you know, honey, no, you're just kind of a prickly person. (laughs) You're just not very pleasant. And so, well, we can expect some hate. We don't go into the world trying to start culture wars and be prickly and be argumentative. We should be hated for our faith in Jesus, not for our disposition towards other people. Amen? Amen. And so listen, if you posted an inflammatory political post on your Facebook and someone defriended you, that's not religious persecution. That was just a poor idea, okay? Like maybe that wasn't the best place to do it. The Bible says you reap what you sow. So that's what it is. So no, application number two, make sure you're not just a jerk, okay, as we talk about this. But number three, I would say reality check, make sure you're not a Christian ninja. You know what I mean by a Christian ninja? Did you know there are 35 ninjas in this room right now? You didn't know that. Why didn't you know that? They're ninjas. You didn't know they were here. That's the thing about ninjas. Are you a Christian ninja? Have you been in the same employer for a decade and no one even knows you love God? (laughs) Did you make it through a whole school year and never even mention the name of Jesus? Did you never stand out in any way? Are you like a stealth bomber? You don't show up on anyone's Jesus's radar. You know, there's no Jesus in here. We're good. You know, listen, Jesus was not ashamed for you. He died for you and he sent his spirit to embolden you to live for him. So one, don't be a jerk. But two, don't be a Christian ninja. (laughs) Let the cat out of the bag. Number four, remember the plight of Christians around the world. In the United States, we are a very small minority of the Christians around the world. And yes, the culture has shifted, and it may be more difficult now than it was, but I'm in a public setting right now, and I can boldly tell you, Jesus Christ is God. He's the only way to the Father. We should be more loyal to him than any political leader, any world leader. We should give up our lives before we give up on him, and I have no fear of authorities rushing in. This Thursday, I will lead a Bible study in my neighborhood, and I will tell my neighbors about Jesus, and we will read the Bible as God's truth, and I have no insecurity about doing that in my own home. We live in a relative safe place, but in places right now like North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Sudan, Syria, Christians face horrific persecution. Martyrdom is not just something of the first century. There are more martyrs today than there were then. People every day. Today, people will lose their lives. They will lose their jobs. They will lose their businesses. They will lose their family members because of their love and devotion to Jesus Christ. We have members of our own church, people who have come here to study from overseas, countries that are hostile to the gospel. They came not knowing Jesus. They met Jesus. Now they love and follow Jesus, and some have gone home to very costly consequences. They came to get educated, to get a great job. They don't get a great job because they met Jesus, and the Communist Party does not receive that well. They've gone home. They've been excommunicated from their family. That's 2017, our church here. This is reality. 
And so I want to say, you know, this should be an encouragement to us to know, hey, it's going to be difficult, but, but Jesus was persecuted too, even more so, our brothers and sisters around the world. This is a precious text to them. When they read Jesus' own words, say, when they hate you, remember they hated me first. And I'm with you, and I'm going to help you. And so number one, expect to be hated. It is what it is. There's no making that sound soft. But number two, we get some good news in here. Second expectation he sets is expect to be empowered. Expect to be empowered. More specifically, expect to be empowered to be a witness. Look at verses 26 and 27. He says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So two things here. First, Jesus says, hey, listen, when the hate comes, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to send a helper who's going to be with you. So number one, you're not alone. I'm with you. I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. But number two, he says, I'm going to be with you to help you in your witness. That through the hate, through the persecution, and through the trial, you are going to be a great witness for me. And that's exactly what happened to these 11 disciples. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God comes, fills their life, and fills their heart. They have an expansive, extraordinary ministry for Jesus Christ. Think back, think back to Peter. You remember what Peter was like on the night of Jesus' arrest? He was like Chris Haruska at a spelling bee. <laughs> horrified. This guy is horrified. Shaking. You like that? I, I worked hard on that. I'm so glad I got a few, few laughs. Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. He wouldn't do that at a spelling bee. He just, you know, he's afraid of the long compound words. But I before he except after C, love you. No commas in spelling. Um, Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. One time to a preteen girl, most likely. And so he was cowardly. He wasn't courageous. He was cowardly in his faith, denying Jesus. What happens when the Holy Spirit fills him, the helper who would help him be a witness? He preaches the first gospel sermon of the early church in the New Testament. He's arrested and beaten for his faith. He's released. He goes on to preach boldly, to plant churches until he's finally arrested. They're going to crucify him um, as a punishment. And as he approaches the cross, he says, I'm unworthy to die in a manner like my Lord Jesus. Crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy. And they do. That's courage. What was the difference? The helper came and helped him be a witness, even in his weakness. So what that means is that, church, Jesus isn't just looking for the courageous to be his witnesses. He's looking for everyday, ordinary, normal, cowardly folks like me and like you to fill us with his helping spirit and to do his work through us and in spite of us. Did you know that your greatest witness is not your successes, not your victories, not your strengths, but how God has brought you through trial and through opposition and through weakness and adversity. Finish this verse. His power is made perfect in my weakness. Weakness. Our greatest witness is how we respond to opposition. When I was in college, I think it was the summer before my junior year, um, I worked in retail. I was the third key manager at the Lid store at Oakview Mall. Hashtag big deal. And so I was closing up the register and selling overpriced flat bills, and it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And I was working, and word got out that I was a Christian. So I worked with a bunch of people my age, and they're like, whatever, everyone's a Christian. We're in America, you know? And they just, they didn't under, and they're like, no, he's like, he's a really a Christian. Like, he, like, Jesus is like his thing. 
And then word got out to the staff, to my colleagues, how shall I say on a family Sunday, that with my girlfriend, who I had been dating for years, I didn't live like a husband and a wife, if you will. And that blew their minds. And so you can just imagine, I'm 20, 21, whatever I was, here comes the jabs, here comes the mocking, here comes the jokes. And it wasn't like being crucified upside down like Peter, but it was a thing, you know, it was a thing. And so I just took, you know, I did like my girl T. Swift. Would you shake it off? You shake it off. You shake it off. Shake it off. Just, just shake it, shake it off. And I thought, I'm going to be a great employee. They're going to dig. They're going to take shots. I'm not going to let it be a thing. I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to love them. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to be a good employee. I'm going to model good work ethic. I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to be a good sport. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be normal. And things were fine. And that was it. And the next year, my senior year, I got a different job. So I went to the different job, didn't think anything of it. Two years later, I got a message from a young guy who worked with me at Lids. Some stuff traumatic had happened in his life. He's wrestling for the first time with the big questions, heaven, hell, God, faith. He had had suicidal thoughts. He was at the bottom, didn't know where to go. He said, Gavin, I knew you were the one person who would tell me the truth and could help me. Now listen, I had no idea the impact I was having on this guy when I was just shaking it off and you know, hawking hats at the ball. But the Spirit of God empowered me to be a witness for him, not through my awesomeness and popularity at the lid store, but precisely through the jabs and through the hate. City Light, Jesus is warning us, yes, the hate is going to come. You're going to be treated like an outsider because your way of life and devotion of Jesus is foreign to this world, but it's right there that you're going to be my greatest witness. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, even in the adversity, even in the hate, to help you be a witness for me. Third and final expectation that Jesus sets for his disciples is to expect to endure. Expect to endure. Look at our last verses, 16, 1 through 4. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling you these things so that when you get kicked out of the cool religious club, when they're coming after you thinking they're doing a favor to God by murdering you, that even in that moment, you will endure. You will not push away because you know that I have said these words to you. And guess what? Every one of these 11 disciples endured to the very end. They followed Jesus. They lovingly shared Jesus. They died believing in and trusting Jesus. And on that last day, they were met by Jesus face to face to receive their reward and glory. Do you know what I think helped these men endure to the end? Yes, the helping spirit came. I think that was very important. But I also think these men had a heavenly vision of what their true home was. Remember, I started off my sermon reminding us some 30 verses before, Jesus had just said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and this will be your home in my Father's house. And so these guys knew that they didn't belong here. Jesus wasn't just saying, this world is not your home. It's going to be rough on you. He gave them the positive vision of, I'm coming back. You have a true home, and it's going to be better. Chris and I end up doing a lot of traveling together, you know, just because of the nature of things. So between pastors' conferences and denomination commitments... At least a few times a year, we're in a car or we're on an airplane or we're going somewhere for a few days away from 
the families. And um, a few years ago, well, it wasn't that long ago, we were on a road trip. And I happened to be driving the last leg home. And so we had been gone for a few days, missed the family, but been driving for a while. And you guys know that feeling when you've had way too much caffeine, but your eyelids are still heavy. So you're like buzzing and shaking, but you still want to sleep. And you just feel greasy and gross and your back kind of hurts and your legs are restless and you just want out of this car prison. And so that's where I am. I'm over it. I'm ready to be done. And every hotel is like an invitation calling my name. Gavin, just there's a shower in here and a bed, you know, finish the drive tomorrow. You can give up. And it was in this moment when I just wanted to throw in the towel that Chris goes, Hey man, do you want me to drive? I think we're almost home. And something about that phrase, we're almost home just brought into my mind this picture of walking through that front door into my own living room, seeing my own family, hugging my own kids, sleeping in my own bed with my own wife. Not that I'd slept with anyone else's wife, but that just, (laughs) it flowed. Go with me. There's grace for that. I have this, this picture of we're almost home. And in that moment, when I realized home is right before me, all of a sudden that momentary struggle of the last hour of the road trip was worth it. I could endure anything. Nothing would stop me from not parking that car in my driveway and being in my home that night. And what I think Jesus is doing as we zoom out on this whole passage, he's giving us this picture of our ultimate home, saying, you're almost there. He loves us enough to say, hey, the next few years aren't going to be awesome. They're going to be rough. As a Christian in this world, in a dead and decaying culture, it's going to be hard. But I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to use you, and guess what? I'm going to bring you to your ultimate home, so hang in there. He empowers us to endure. Christians, we are almost home. So City Light, let me say this. This passage should be a great comfort to those of you who are going through trials, who have had a rough go of it. If you follow Jesus, and it hasn't always been applauded by the people around you, if you've been met with difficulties that you didn't anticipate, can I just say God is with you, he is using you, and this passage is a good reminder that you are almost home. There is a reward that awaits you. In Corinthians, it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The heart of man cannot fathom all that God has prepared for those who love him. That's real. You've not seen anything like it. You've never heard anything like it. And you can't even imagine it. It awaits you. So would this passage be an encouragement? Hang in there. Number two, it should be a challenge to those of you who've never experienced any pushback because of your faith in Jesus. That should concern you, okay? Just that you're not of the world. It's not going to love you. So let me ask you, are you just kind of consuming whatever's coming downstream from culture and following the current? Or are you walking with Jesus upstream? You should look different than the world. And finally, can I say this passage should be a great encouragement to our senior saints in the room. Those of you with gray hair, with white hair, with silverish blue hair, with no hair, except for you, Chris. That's just early onset. That has a genetic thing. (laughs) Our senior members of the faith. There are some of you in this room who have journeyed with Jesus for a lifetime. And maybe it was easy and fun when you trusted Jesus at a camp and walked down the aisle or did the thing, whatever that looked like. But you've gone through some stuff and you've weathered some things. You've been challenged and you've been mocked and you've been made fun of and you've buried some friends, and you've walked through some illness, and you've said goodbye to some people that hurt you, and it's been a challenge. And can I say that your steady devotion and faithfulness to Jesus through all the changing experiences of life is your greatest witness, that the Spirit of God has brought you through, that you still love Jesus in spite of it all, that you know that your home is not here, 
And you will experience some discomfort knowing that my ultimate home is right around the corner. So to our senior saints, I just want to say we love you. Some people think City Light is the young people church. It's not. I love that there are so many people that are not young here. And I love family Sundays. This is one of the reasons I love them. So that all these kids can look out and see you and see that Jesus is worth it. Through a lifetime, it's worth it to have a vision when I'm gray and bald and old. I want to be here worshiping with the kids, still singing out, Jesus, you're worth it. You're better. I love you. I long to be with you. So let me close with this. Jesus keeps it real, doesn't he? He doesn't paint a pretty picture. He doesn't say it's going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. It's going to be really, really, really hard. They're going to hate you because they hated me, but it's going to be worth it because you have a home on just the other side. And do you know what can carry us through the hate of the world? It's the love of Jesus Christ. Haters are always going to hate, but Jesus is always going to love. And the love of Jesus brings us through. The love of Jesus sets us free. The love of Jesus empowers us to endure to the very end. Amen? Would you guys stand up with me and let's just pray to this Jesus right now. Jesus, we are so thankful that even though the world hated you, it says you came into the world out of love for the world to save us from our sin and death and folly. And so Jesus, thank you that you didn't run away from a broken world, but you ran into the fire to redeem us and rescue us out of it. And now, Lord, for everyone who knows and loves the Lord Jesus, who's been called out of this world, would you empower us by your spirit to be salt and light in this world that is not our home? God, we just acknowledge it's, it's, I'm still young. I think it's harder to be a Christian now than it was a decade ago. And I don't think it's getting easier. And yet, from the margins of culture, your church has always had its greatest witness. And so, Jesus, for this little church family, City Light 2017, we invite the helper the helper who comes to bear witness to Jesus, the helper that empowers us to be a witness and stick it out faithfully to the end. Would you be our helper? Would you give us a witness in this culture? Would, sit, would, would the city of Omaha know that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is love and Jesus is light because they see it in us? Jesus, would you empower us to endure to the end? In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.